Welcome to the Coming In For A Landing podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. Here's your host, Paul Hudrick. Hello, friends, and welcome back, I should say, to the Coming In For A Landing podcast. I am your host, Paul Hudrick, and I am so glad to be back with you guys. For those of you who don't know, uh, I've been out for the last couple of weeks because my fiance gave birth to a beautiful baby boy, our first, uh, our first child, and... So I have been doing the whole dad thing for the last couple of weeks. Uh, our son Miles is amazing. He's he's as handsome as his daddy, and he's as as smart as his mommy. It's pretty awesome. Uh, but no, it's uh, it's been a cool couple of weeks for me and for for my family, and we're really excited about it. And uh, I know some of you have probably seen this already, you know, saw it through social media on Twitter, what have you, and have perhaps already said congratulations. And I, I really appreciate that. Uh, for those of you who are my fellow dads out there, you know the experience and how cool it is, and you know just those those moments early on in life that you you just have to be there for, you don't want to miss. So very grateful to have that opportunity where I could take that paternity leave, could take two weeks off, and the site was in great hands with, with the people with the other the other folks we have on staff, and uh, I have great leadership at SB Nation, and I was again very grateful for that opportunity. And something that I didn't want to miss. But that doesn't mean I wasn't paying attention to your Philadelphia 76ers. Because I sure was uh, during my time out. And, you know, I've been back this week. And, man, uh, am I bad luck? I, <laughs> I come back and they put up just two. I mean, clearly Monday was just, was just a, 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 I mean, lack of a better word. It was a shit show. I mean, it just really was with Seth Curry being... A scratch a half hour before the game. Joel Embiid literally right before Tip being a scratch. That felt like a game where, and you know what, Memphis is despite John Morant being out, they're one of the hottest teams in the NBA right now. They've been playing really good basketball, so that was just kind of a mixture of a lot of crappy things all coming together at once. And so, like that, it's almost one of those games where it's like eighty-two game schedule. Okay, you just you kind of just say, okay, that is what it is. Doc said, afterwards, you burn the tapes, you move on. You just beat Golden State on Friday. But then, to come out on Wednesday night, and, you know, I want to certainly get into this game. We're going to talk about everything that went on tonight. Maxie's brilliance, you know, Joel Embiid struggling down the stretch, and the team struggling, I thought, for chunks of the game to just get him the basketball. You talk about the the Matisse Thibel versus Danny Green debate a little bit, and you know some of you know Tobias Harris has been getting a lot of heat, and of course touch a little bit on the Ben Simmons stuff since you know I haven't been around, I haven't really talked to you guys about it. I figured, hey, you know, let's let's, let's bring it up a little bit on this podcast, but really I want to start off by talking about this game Wednesday night against the Miami Heat. This a very short-handed Miami Heat team. No Jimmy Butler, no Bam Adebayo, no Tyler Hero. And the Sixers still lose one on one the ninety six. Gabe Vincent, who plays great against the Sixers, and I, I guess I don't know nobody else. Uh, he, he looked like Steph Curry tonight. He was out of control. I think was it six or seven threes he hit tonight. I, I gotta double check that, but he was insane tonight. Uh, seven threes, seven to twelve from three for game high uh, twenty. Or excuse me, a team high twenty six points, um, and it just. Really, that was what that's that's the difference in the game. I mean, the Heat is a team shot 18 of 44 for three, uh, 40 percent. So that that was kind of the big difference. The Sixers shoot 
terribly from three. 12 of 37, 32.4%. 32, uh, and a big reason, uh, if you watch the game, is that the Miami Heat decided they were going to go zone. And it's the weirdest phenomenon ever with, with the Sixers because it's two coaching staffs in a row that have really struggled to find a way to combat his own. That's not the, I mean, that's, that's strange within itself. But then on top of it, both of these coaching, the Brett Brown staff and Doc Rivers staff seem to be in utter denial that they suck against zone. Like after the game, Doc says, Oh, well, normally. And he, he said that at the last game after they sucked against the zone said, Oh, well, normally we're pretty good against the zone. I will say this. I think Eric Spolstra is a very good coach. Miami Miami actually runs zone. Like, that's something they do. That's not just something they do only against the Sixers. They do it against the Sixers because it's extremely effective um, against them, especially in trying to contain Joel Embiid. But it is something they do. Like, it's part of their normal repertoire. So that's they are better at it than a lot of other teams in the league because it's something that Eric Spolstra actually deploys and they practice it, and it's something that they actually are good at. Um, with that said... The Sixers just really aren't good. At, they're just not good against zone. The only teams, the only times they do well against zone are, are against teams that are just bad. So it doesn't matter that they're playing zone or not. They're just bad basketball teams they're going up against. So another night where they really, it really did. It, it, it And the Heat ran it for the entire game. The Sixers couldn't figure it out for three freaking quarters. Finally, Tyrese Maxey starts diving in and, and they finally realize, hey, if we give Tyrese the ball and give him a ball screen, just kind of let him cut into the teeth of that thing, it'll start to fall apart. And it did. And Tyrese Maxey was brilliant. Uh, he comes up, he has 27 points tonight, a game high. He was absolutely outstanding. There was this one stretch in the um, in the fourth quarter. And I know our, our guy Jackson Frank cut the highlight where he just had these two finishes. The one where he splits two defenders, it and then finishes with a scoop with a with a with contact at the rim should have been a foul. I don't know how on earth he didn't get that call. And then the very next possession after they get a stop, comes down and just does a scoop layup. It's just he does some things that are star like that 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 not a lot of other guys in this league can do. And. You know, it, it had been a while since we'd seen that. He he had struggled a little bit with, with Joel Embiid coming back, with Tobias Harris coming back. The team being at full strength, you didn't see Maxi necessarily being as assertive in these situations and scoring as much. Doc Rivers was asked about that after the game, and I had to be like, I had to be honest. I stand up for Doc sometimes, but man, his, I I really didn't care for his answer. I really didn't. He he basically said. Well, with Joel Embiid back and Seth Curry back, yeah, Tyrese is just going to score less. Well, no, that, that it doesn't have to be that way. And listen, with all due respect to Seth Curry, who clearly has added a, a, an extra dimension to this to this team, has become an improved offensive player, has been really good for the Sixers here. Like a night like tonight, they played zone and Seth Curry couldn't get a shot off. He only took four threes. If another team is playing a zone and Seth Curry only takes four threes, that's a bad night. He had seven points. Three of seven from the field, one of four for three. That can't happen. Um, and and that's, that's Seth Curry not being, to me at least, and maybe you view it differently, but to me, that's Seth Curry not being assertive enough. And I think that's the problem with Seth is that sometimes he's not. 
a guy like, and the problem too with Mac uh, with, with with Curry is you know shooters can be streaky, so that's another thing. Um, he is one of the better shooters in the NBA. There's no disputing that, but shooters can be streaky with Tyrese. And also too, the other thing I would say is that a lot of Seth's offense, he needs help creating it. Like he needs that two man game with Joel Embiid. He needs a ball screen. He needs something else to to get him open. With Tyrese, man, I mean, he needs very little else to get him his looks. He creates his looks on his own. And that is something... So to hear like Doc Rivers say, oh, well, when Joel Embiid and Seth Curry are out there, we need we need Tyrese to be more of a facilitator and, and more of a floor general. No, you don't. <laughs> you need Tyrese Maxey to be Tyrese Maxey. He, the skill set he has, this team has been starving for, for the entire Joel Embiid era. They have not had a perimeter, like, uh, well, I guess outside of Jimmy Butler, they have not had a perimeter player that can create his own shot consistently and finish at the rim. And they have that in Tyrese. And for some reason, Doc Rivers wants to round peg, you know, in a, in a square hole situation here and wants him to be something he is not. I get that Joel Embiid is the focal point. He should be the focal point. He is a multi-time all-star. He's one of the best two-way players in the entire NBA. I get it. But to say that Tyrese now should be taking like a third or fourth fiddle role behind Seth Curry and Tobias Harris, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's right. I think that hurts the team. I tweeted it out and I stand by it. Tyrese Maxey is this team's second best offensive player. And the sooner that Doc Rivers and this coaching staff and this team, this organization realize that and just run with it instead of this weird thing where they're just like not embracing it and and almost are trying to, I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to do, but they're not trying to just empower him to do that. And to me, that hurts them. It it just flat out hurts them. And I don't know. I, I just, I really didn't care for that comment by Doc. Uh, like I said, I defend Doc a lot. I don't, I don't blame Doc for a lot of the Sixers issues, but I really didn't like that response. I really didn't care for it. Um, because to, to me, that's like putting your hands up and saying like, ah, well, you know, I, oh well, Ty, Tyrese just isn't going to score because because Joel Embiid and, and and Seth Curry are out there. I, I don't know. I didn't like it. Just didn't like it. We're going to have to take a quick break, but on the other side, we're going to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, this game tonight, some bigger picture stuff, you know, with, with Tobias Harris, who's kind of had a, a little bit of a bounce back game. Uh, and then also, you know, Matisse Thibel gets to start again tonight and struggles, gets an early foul trouble. He's out there against his own and all that. And then, you know, Danny Green has a huge fourth quarter. We're going to get into all that. And of course, Ben Simmons stuff, because what would a podcast be on Liberty Ballers without... Ben Zibbins stuff. So uh, we're going to talk to you right after this break. We'll be right back. All right. So let's get right back into this. You know, the this game Wednesday night against Miami. Sixers fall 101-96. Joel Embiid struggled down the stretch. I, I thought that they struggled at times to get him the basketball. I thought that was a pretty big problem against the zone. I thought them not being able to make the open threes really hurt him because they could really, really clamp down on him and really just show him a crowd every single time. And I thought that really hurt them as a team. Um, Tobias Harris was good early. I think he had 15 points in the first half. Uh, didn't have a very good third quarter. Um, hit hit a couple big shots in the fourth. He had a nice drive on Duncan Robinson, finished with his left, hit a big corner three that tied the game. I thought tonight he was more decisive. He took, I think, seven threes. So that was that's a season high 
more of this basically from Tobias Harris. This is what you need. I, I thought he was, I thought he was good tonight. He wasn't great. I thought he was good. Um, I, I much better than he's been. And this is more of what you need from Tobias Harris. The problem is you got, you didn't get what you needed from Joel Embiid. You didn't get what you needed from Seth Curry. The bench outside of Danny Green, I, I thought, well, I thought, quite frankly, that Doc could have played Isaiah Joe more. Isaiah Joe plays 11 minutes, hits two threes, two or three on the night. This young fella's got to play more. I mean, quite frankly, it, it's just, Furkan Korkmaz out right now with a non-COVID illness. And I, for right now, I think he should be, he, he should be wildly pipped. I mean, I, I think Isaiah Joe should be playing. He should be part of the rotation. He's a decent defender. He hits open threes. He's willing to take open threes. Like, I think you could have used a little bit more of, like, him in this game. He takes three threes in 11 minutes. You could have used a guy that was willing to take, willing to shoot and willing to take that many shots. Um, But speaking of, Danny Green does take threes. He takes all of the shots with threes tonight. He goes three of eight. Um, Also has six rebounds, five steals on the night. And this kind of goes back to this debate that it seems to be we're kind of all having, and that's, you know, whether to start Matisse Thibel or whether to start Danny Green. I don't think there's a definitive answer here. I Doc Rivers has said he doesn't think his starting lineup is set in stone, and I think that's a fair way to approach it. The other night they played Golden State. Matisse Thibel plays all-world defense against Steph Curry, and so Doc Rivers looks like a genius for starting him. It was a good move. Tonight, Matisse gets in early foul trouble. The Heat go to the zone. Matisse can't hit shots. I mean, just his, his shot is not where you would like it to be. He didn't hit a shot from the floor tonight. He was 0-5. His shot has just not come along the way you would hoped. Uh, you know, in year three, I think he's below 30% for the season. You need more, quite frankly. And so Danny Green comes in and gives them a huge boost. He was great in the fourth quarter. Um, like I said, you know, three of eight from three, five steals, and like it just momentum changing plays I thought he made in that fourth quarter. But I think I don't have a problem with the way Doc utilized either player. Like I I'll say that early in the game perhaps he should have looked to get Matisse out sooner and maybe gone to Isaiah Joe for a longer stretch or maybe gone gone to Danny a little earlier. But I don't have an issue with Doc starting Matisse and then kind of feeling out the game and then saying, okay, Danny's giving us more, we need to go to Danny, or Matisse is giving us more, we need to go with Matisse. I think this is a way that maybe, you know, with Danny coming off the bench, you're maybe saving his legs a little bit. Not the youngest guy, he's 34 years old, but he's still a pretty important piece on this team. I know some people might disagree with that, but I wholeheartedly believe that. Um, I, I think he's really important to them. And two of the things I think that he does really well, he understands spacing and movement as well as anybody on this team. There's a cut called the freaking Danny Green cut. Like, the guy just understands movement and spacing. Like I said, I, I, I look up and down this roster better than anyone, I would say. Um, and then the other thing is, I, you know, I, I touched on the team not being able to get Joel Embiid the basketball in, in certain situations in the zone. This is not a team that does well with entry passes. And Danny Green, that's something that he does well. I assume that's because he spent a lot of time in San Antonio playing with one of the greatest post-up players of all time in Tim Duncan. So perhaps he had some pretty good practice at the old entry pass, but um, those are two little things that he does well that I think make him a really good partner, a really good guy to have on the floor to compliment Joel Embiid. But 
like I said, I, I don't take issue with Doc Rivers starting Matisse Thibel. I don't hate the way they're being used. I, I really don't. I think that's not a bad way to look at it. But with all that said, maybe you look to get Matisse out of the game a little bit earlier in the first half. I mean, Matisse only played 14 minutes. So it's not like Doc kept going back to him and, and like really like what kept trying to make it happen when it wasn't happening. Um, you know, Danny plays 28 minutes and Matisse plays 14. I think that's probably used well. Isaiah Joe probably could have played more than 11. That's That's fair if you want to look at it that way. I don't really want to talk about this game anymore, to be honest with you. I'm kind of over it. Um, <laughs> but no, two lackluster efforts. I mean, that's all you can say. And now they got to go on the road Thursday night, take on the Brooklyn Nets, who are also depleted. But they still have Kevin Durant. And it's kind of like with the Sixers, what you want to beat. As long as they have Kevin Durant, they got a shot to win. They could beat anybody because he's just that good and that dominant. And as you see, as you saw tonight, as you saw Wednesday night, you cannot take teams that are shorthanded lightly. Um, and hopefully the Sixers kind of learn the error of their ways uh, from Wednesday night and, and show up in Brooklyn and, and have a much better performance than they did on Wednesday against a shorthanded Heat team. I want to close with the Ben Simmons stuff. Last week, Woj comes out with a report saying that there is momentum uh, towards a trade with Ben Simmons. The December 15th date, which you know we are now in, it is a date where players who signed in the offseason are now eligible to be traded. That's What that means is basically the pool is bigger. Um, there are more players who can be involved in trades. Does that mean one of those guys is going to be a guy that is targeted for the Sixers to come back? And that's going to be like the, the guy that's the main headliner? No, I mean, it just means in a league where you have to match salaries, where that's part of the CBA and it has to and you have to kind of be a little creative at times when it comes to trades because of that, having 20% more of the players in the league available to be traded just extends your options, extends the teams you can involve, extends the players you can get involved, and just makes it easier, especially if you're trying to do something a little bit tricky, as Woj mentioned, three and four team scenarios, which we all know Daryl Morey is not shy of those and I felt all along that it was going to be some kind of complicated-ass thing that all of us, it's going to take us like two days to digest fully what exactly the Sixers are getting and what they're sending out and all that. So um, good news in that regard. And I, I don't think Woj would have put that out unless there was something behind it. I will say that I wonder if he gets it from the Sixers and if that's just kind of Daryl Morey perhaps trying to let a fire under the butt of some of these other GMs and front office executives saying, Hey, like, let's go. Like, all right. Like this is him saying December 15th, the pool is, is a little bigger. Let's get, let's, let's, let's make a deal. Let's get down to business. So I don't think anything is imminent. I don't think and necessarily anything happens, you know, anytime soon this week or whatever. But I do think that the sense of urgency is perhaps kicked up a little bit. And maybe Daryl Morey explores the market a little bit harder than he has and perhaps teams come at him with bigger offers. It never made sense to trade him before this date. Um, one, because of that, you know, just the significance of the date and the fact that more players can be eligible to be traded. But then also, you needed to let this season play out. You needed to let Portland be a dumpster fire. You needed to, you know, let Minnesota and Sacramento realize, hey, we're not good, even though we want to be good. We're not playoff teams. Um, you needed the possibility of the Celtics falling apart. You needed the Wizards to get up to a great start and then just kind of plummet um, to maybe get Bradley Beal a little bit antsy. Um, so 
that's why it was it, it never made sense for them to make a trade sooner than that. It, it really didn't. Everyone's had after the offseason, and I've said this a thousand times, everyone's happy with their teams heading into the season. There's like you're not gonna find a GM that goes into the season thinking, like, hey, you know what? We man, we we had a shitty offseason. This team sucks. Like you you're not gonna go into the 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 regular season thinking that way. You Feel good about what you did. You made moves that you think made your team better. You think you're a better team. That does not, but not every team is better. Not every team can do that. A team like the Chicago Bulls, clearly, I mean, they're you know they're they're struggling right now with a COVID outbreak. But in general, they made moves thinking that they would be a better team, and by and large, they have been. They're they are a better basketball team, and so that's going to pay off. The other teams, you know, Portland thought they were going to be better, not so much. Minnesota again thought they were going to be better. Sacramento. Up and down the NBA. So many teams thought they were going to be better, and they're not. Um, the Knicks, uh, they're they're really struggling. The, the you know uh, they thought they probably thought they had a pretty good offseason getting Kemba and Evan Fournier into the mix, and now Kemba's not even in the rotation, and they're rumored to be in on Ben Simmons now. Uh, the Lakers, they swing for Russell Westbrook, and that's been not so great. They're already looking to try to dump his big ass salary. So the point being, just things change all the time. Um, and that's why it made sense to wait. That's why it didn't make sense to pull the trigger too early on a deal. Um, and, and why this date, the date of December 15th, makes sense for things to start to pick up. Doesn't mean it's going to happen soon. As far as, like, what can happen. I, I've seen, like, Shea Gilgis Alexander's name being thrown out there. Yeah. I, I mean, sign me up. It, it, I'll take that tomorrow. I, I can sort of see it from a... Sam Presti standpoint is a guy who loves him some draft picks and you see what he's done in turning Chris Paul into big draft halls and Al Horford, even in the draft halls. Um, you know, if you trade for Ben Simmons, who's 25 years old, who still has potential. I know I get it. Everybody, he hasn't reached it and he's, he's not that guy. He might never be that guy, but you send him to Oklahoma city. He plays for a franchise where nobody cares he puts up big numbers. He lights it up. He reminds people that he's a pretty good player. Maybe he shoots 70% from the free throw line. And in a year, Sam Presti moves on and, and, and you know, moves him for a couple more picks or whatever. And maybe that looks like a brilliant move. Um, and the Sixers get Shea Gilgis Alexander, and he's just a really good fit here, and kind of everybody wins. But I don't. I wouldn't do that <laughs> if I were Sam Presti. I would be hanging on to Shea Gilgis Alexander, but that's... Not necessarily the way this guy operates, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, other people, you know, Brandon Ingram is a name I've seen thrown around a little bit. Not a seamless fit, but not a terrible fit. I wouldn't hate it. There was word that the Pelicans are still trying to be competitive, which God bless them for that because they stink, and Zion Williamson doesn't look like he's anywhere close to playing a game for them this year, so... Um, not that I would, not that they should be actively looking to trade Brandon Ingram, but I don't think they should be actively looking to improve their team this year. Ben Simmons, obviously a clunky fit if, if that were to happen, but three team deals. Uh, maybe you find a guy, another guy, another team that they might like, and you send Ben Simmons elsewhere. I saw someone suggest to me uh, on Twitter, say, hey, send, you know, CJ McCollum goes to New Orleans. Um, Brandon Ingram comes to Philly and, um, Ben Simmons goes to Portland with other pieces, obviously thrown in their draft picks, what have you. Um, you know, maybe CJ Collins, not the guy, because I don't think age wise that fits well with Zion and his, um, 
his kind of time frame and all that. But, you know, that idea is possible where it's a player that perhaps New Orleans likes more that you can get in a three-way deal. I don't know. There might be something there. Speaking of CJ McCollum, and I put out the tweet today, and I, I, again, fully stand by it. Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum makes no sense. I get it from the – are they a better team right now if they simply make that move and just go Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum straight up and CJ McCollum plays? Of course, they're a better team because they have a productive NBA basketball player and not a player that's sitting at home and not playing and that they're finding. Like, so, of course, from that standpoint, they're going to be better. CJ McCollum could create his own shot to an extent. He's a good three-point shooter. He's increased his, vo- his volume and his efficiency for three-point range um, at this point in his career. He's a scorer. He's a good offensive player. He's not an elite offensive player. I don't. I personally don't think. He's not an all-star. He's on the wrong side of 30. He makes max money, and he's not a max player. So you make that deal right now, and you're marginally better. You're not beating Brooklyn. You're not beating Milwaukee. You're probably not beating this Miami team that you watched tonight. I don't think. Maybe. I don't think so. And then going forward, I know like a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to waste this season of Joel Embiid's prime. Okay. Um, fair enough. I get that. I get you don't want to waste Joel Embiid's prime. But if you make that McCollum deal, you have him for two years beyond this year. And you also have Tobias Harris for two years beyond this year. So then you have CJ McCollum on a max deal. You have Tobias Harris on a max deal for the next two years after this. So you have two players now that quite frankly, with all due respect to both of them, because they're both talented guys, they're both good NBA players, but they are not max players. So now you have two of your three max contracts are taken up by guys that shouldn't be on max deals. That's a problem. That's a problem. That's, and it's they're immovable. That's the other thing. Like, you can't trade for CJ McCollum and then in the offseason be like, ah, hey, you know what? It didn't work out. Let's move CJ McCollum. No. You're not going to be able to move CJ McCollum or Tobias Harris's contracts. You are stuck with those. They are not going anywhere. So, yeah, like... I think it's a little harsh to say that they're like punning or wasting Joel this year, like punning the season and wasting a season of Joel and beats prom. I think that's a little extreme, but I would rather waste this year, quote unquote, waste this year of Joel and beats prime than waste the next three years of Joel and beats prime. Right. Hold out for something a little bit better. Uh, Cause I think something better is out there. I don't think CJ McCollum, is the guy. I don't think that's the move. I, I don't think that's the right thing to do. We'll see what happens. Um, could Daryl Morey wait? Could he just say, you know what? We were at the trade deadline, but you know maybe the Sixers are in like sixth place, and it's like, is it really worth swinging a deal just to swing a deal to get in a better position than sixth? And does he not? Then does he maybe wait till the offseason and say, you know what? Maybe I'll wait to see if the Celtics completely implode and I can. Swoop in and get Jalen Brown. Maybe I'll see if the Wizards situation completely falls apart. I can swoop in and get Bradley Beal. Uh, Still, you hold out maybe some hope for Damian Lillard. Maybe by this summer, maybe that goes so south to the point where he finally does request a trade. Um, Do you hold out for those scenarios? Then the, the the other side of that coin is what if they what if they get it together? What if they play well? And what if by the trade deadline they're like second or third in the conference? Because that's the other thing you guys got to keep, everyone's got to keep in mind. 
Brooklyn is is playing really well. They're at the top of the conference. No one's really running like running away with this thing. Like they're like right now, it's it's Milwaukee and Brooklyn are at the top. No surprise there. The Sixers are three games behind Milwaukee for the second seed. It's not like they're way out of this thing. It's you know they're and they're two games back. Um. Well, let me no three. Sorry, so they're three and a half back of Milwaukee, three and a half behind Chicago for the second and third seed. They're far from out of this thing, so it's not like we should all be hitting this panic button and thinking that they can't come back, like that they can't go on a run and 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 you know perhaps force Daryl Morey's hand and maybe Daryl Morey has to just take the best trade because and then in that case, if they're that good and they're playing that well and you know Embiid is taking his game to another level. Then yeah, maybe there's some merit to the idea of you don't want to waste a year of his prime. But that said, I still don't think the McCollum deal is the right deal. But maybe there is a different deal that isn't what you want, that isn't that big fish, but it's still a deal that can help you and make you better and try to capitalize on the team playing well, if in fact they are playing well. Because that's that still remains to be seen. All right, friends. It was wonderful to talk to you guys all again. It's great to be back in the full at Liberty Ballers. I'm so excited. I'm so excited for all the great coverage we have and for, you know, the way the guys held down the fort while I was gone. They did a terrific job. Ran a damn thing without me. Why am I even here? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I hope my boss didn't hear that. Um, but, but no. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate you guys all so much for tuning into the coming in for a landing podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. Please Rate, download, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Paul Hudrick, and I will talk to you all next time.